Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a high school teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, thoughts on WandaVision and the future of the MCU. I'm joined by Trey and Jude from the podcast MCU Need to Know in a WandaVision retrospective discussion. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am joined by two very special guests, people and fellow podcasters who I am honored to call friends of the show, Trey and Jude from MCU Need to Know. Welcome. Hey. Hey. How are you doing? <laughs> doing all right. How are you guys today? I'm excited to be here. I wanted to beat be Trey to the excited line. <laughs> <laughs> you stole my, my key signature phrase. <laughs> if I can yes and that, I'm excited because uh, you're here this time. We get to do this together. Yes, yes. I, you know, I'm a huge fan of your pod. Uh, just finished listening to um, the one you did on Falcon. The Marvel's Legends ones. Oh, thanks. Um, uh, great, as always, and really enjoyed it. And so I'm excited to finally get to do this again with you. Yeah, I'm excited too, Jude, because we we have talked together before. We've collaborated for for your podcast, and then Trey joined me for episode 3.1 of this show to discuss the first two episodes of WandaVision. But you definitely earned having the excited line because we missed you that time, and we're, we're really happy that you're here. Of course, Trey, welcome back. Why don't you take a moment to reintroduce yourself to listeners? So, um, of course, been a big fan of the MCU for a while now. Um, you know, last time I talked about how I always kind of had like a superficial interest in superheroes when I was growing up, but it was really the MCU that helped find a starting point for me to really fall in love with this universe. And now I have way too many Captain America posters and Funko Pops uh, because this has become, uh, you know, a big obsession for me. Well, I hope that people, if they're not already, uh, decide to follow you on social media because the pictures that you post of the Funko Pops are very cool. Oh, I appreciate it. Yes, he's he's been working really, really hard on his photography. Um, the Funko Pops are really cool. He has a lot of other fo- photographs that uh, he does a lot of good work. Yeah. Blush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this, you know, lest this becomes the Trey appreciation show. <laughs> um, Jude, I also want to welcome you. And again, very happy to finally have you here. Your official initiation will be telling listeners a little bit about yourself and, of course, your relationship to the MCU. So let me start here because I know I've mentioned it a couple times on my pod. I teach as well, teach high school. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's fun to talk with you and you know about that uh, teaching and not like questions about students. I know we we talked a little bit about you know do your students know you have a podcast? My students mm-hmm. found out. Uh, not that I was hiding it from them on purpose, you know, but they found out and that was kind of neat. You got a lot of coworkers that listen. I, I realize I keep pushing stuff to Trey. I don't think I'd be podcasting if it wasn't for Trey. Um, cause he's the one that asked me to do this, uh, podcast and I've, I'm a huge podcast listener and have an audio video background before I got into teaching. And so it was a joy to jump in and create something like this. 
shout out to any of my or Jude's students who may be listening. Yes, yes. I always love those stories because it almost feels like the students have found out y'all's superhero secret identity whenever it comes across. <laughs> okay, word has gotten out there that I'm the teacher with the podcast, so. <laughs> I don't remember if I said this on pod, but my department chair, I have his son. And I made some comments. I was like, yeah, I had a busy weekend. They're like, were you doing the podcast? It's like, no, not this weekend. And it was a work day for them. And the next thing you know, I hear my voice coming from the back of the classroom. <laughs> it's so funny. You also asked me about my relationship with EMCU. Of course. Um, growing up, I was a, can I say this? A, my favorite superhero? Uh, I, always feel, <laughs> I, I always feel weird saying it because they have those questions. Of like when you forget your password, what's your favorite superhero? So I feel like I can't answer that question sometimes. Um, growing up, I was a Robin fan uh, from DC. Cool. Like it, it was one of those... And people, oh, wait, what do you mean Robin? You know, just Batman. But he was a kid and I was a kid. Like he was crime fighting superhero. So I just identified with him. And so growing up, I collected a lot of DC comics, uh, right in that nineties, right in the area where image comics kind of came to being. Mm -hmm. Um, like I have the first 20, 25 issues of Spawn first run when that first came out. Some X-Men when Jim Lee had his run, uh, Death of Superman, all in that area. Uh, summer ended and cutting the grass stopped. So my comic collecting kind of stopped and I picked back up in it. Kind of about mainly when Spider Gwen and Silk was introduced and Marvel did their Secret Wars run and I got back into it. Uh, but then from the influence of my wife, we kind of detoured into because i was like i can always get marvel comics and so we kind of detoured into other things like um harrow county which was really good uh tyler crook who's an amazing artist and that's kind of like a southern goth comic and that was really good that sounds uh, very cool yeah i'll have to send you a link to it because it's it's actually they finished their run you can get all of it now and trade paperback and it's fantastic um so things like that through my wife we we kind of look into those now you know again because it's comics can be expensive now and so it's easier just to wait and like i've been getting the miss marvel run all together mcu god i started watching iron man and as we got to the avengers it, they were doing what i always wanted movies to do and that the comics did where it was like that they had that shared universe and I got to see characters I enjoyed in one movie cross over with another. Mm -hmm. um, or we see it sometimes in television, you know, we speak of WandaVision just finished, you know, and kind of that love letter to television. And you'd see every once in a while, let's take the eighties, right? Kirk Cameron from growing pains shows up on full house. Right. right. Sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. and so, and those were cool events. And then like to, to finally get that kind of universe, like that's what really sucked me into the MCU. So yeah, that's 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 what brought me on. Yeah, that's awesome. And I I have some thoughts about the connection that you are making between how the comics operate and how the MCU itself operates. But I think I'm gonna save that for later. So when you were last here, Trey, you told listeners a little bit about MCU Need to Know. And I was hoping that you could share, you know, what's new in the world of your podcast. What have you guys been up to over there? And maybe where are you going next? 
Yeah. So, you know, we talked about how we were doing topic based stuff in the MCU because we were in the middle of that Marvel drought. Um, And, you know, now that we're here at the end of WandaVision, I think that's kind of helping cement like this latest iteration of the podcast where we've been doing uh, weekly recaps and reviews and discussions about each WandaVision episode. And um, it's been a lot of fun. It was it was an interesting challenge to try and record or watch the episode, record and edit for that following Monday. But it's it's been a fun challenge, especially as we got further into it and were able to bring guests on, too. And so moving forward, that's something we definitely want to continue doing now that Falcon and the Winter Soldier is coming soon. Um, and to definitely keep in that bringing on guest aspects to the workflow. Cool. Yeah. And I the experience of WandaVision each week for me involved obviously watching it, which I would often do Friday after work. I was never able to get up early and do it. I Maybe with Falcon, I'll try it once or twice, but I wasn't able to do it for WandaVision. So I'd watch it after work and I'd usually record with my guests depending on, on their schedules because I was doing different guests each week. So anytime between Saturday and Tuesday and then uh, turning around by Thursday, you guys, it was very impressive that you were able to turn it around over the weekend. <laughs> Um, really, it seems like we worked around similar time frames because I, I, I know a lot of times you were working around the schedules of the guests. And so that was getting you closer and closer to that Thursday timeline. So uh, okay. I think Jude and I have both mentioned that's respect mutually going your way as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, well, it would depend. I Some weeks I would uh, luck out and be able to nail down a time slot on, on Saturday or Sunday. And, and so that gave me a few extra days. But the next part of my week of processing the latest episode of WandaVision would be to listen to other podcasts. And, and truly, first and foremost, you guys, um, I'd always tune in to hear what you had to say. And and sometimes, you know, it felt like I was in conversation with you because I was like, oh man, yeah, I had a similar thought or oh, I hadn't thought of that. Or, oh, I, I wish this is what I would say to them if we were talking right now. And um, <laughs> so it's really delightful to have you here. And we are here today to reflect on the journey that has been this process, watching, discussing, thinking about, theorizing about WandaVision over the last couple months. And before we dig into some of our thoughts on the show as a whole and count down some of our favorite moments, which I think is going to be really fun, I do want to spend some time talking about the Marvel Assembled, the making of WandaVision special that Disney Plus released this past Friday, which I really loved. And in fact, I was eagerly anticipating it almost as much as I had been anticipating the episodes themselves. <laughs> I really wanted to see that live studio audience. So what did you both think of the behind the scenes look into the making of the show? And we'll start with you, Jude. Well, first, I loved it just from the standpoint of I've always been a sucker for those kinds of things. Like I said, I had this radio television film background. So I like to take the DVDs and watch it with a commentary, right? The TV, the director's commentary, all the deleted scenes. And so for me, I think my favorite part of that was getting to see all that behind the scenes, but in particular for how they did the sitcom episodes, like just seeing the setup, seeing, you know, what it, what it took as design wise and, and those types of things. And it's also one of those things that, I don't know if I realize as much as I love that stuff. I don't know real. I don't know if I realize how much I wanted something like that. If that makes sense, I'm glad. I'm actually looking forward to the Falcon Winter Soldier version of it too. 
Yeah, for sure. I think that especially with seeing the the behind the scenes of the sitcom episodes, as you said, and especially that first episode with the live studio audience and just the commitment to detail on every level of the set was such a cool thing to see. So for me, I think the thing that I love the most was the section they had where they were breaking down the philosophy behind the way they would create the music, the the intros mm-hmm. for each mm-hmm. sitcom vision. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was just really special one uh, to see them, the the musicians to like talk about the inspirations they were drawing from different eras to match not only the sitcom that they were inspired from, but things that were popular around that same time. And yeah. it was just a really insightful look into it. That and also I can't get over the uh, the links they went to to match the black and white vision with the different colored blue. Because every time they cut to that, that was just like, I don't know, it kept catching me off guard. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher, Christopher Beck is listed as the composer for the show but it was Robert Lopez and Christian Anderson Lopez who did all those theme songs. Thank you. Yeah. And we didn't get to see Beck in the Beck makes it sound like Beck, the artist who did. The <laughs> <It does. laughs> that was the secret track on episode right. 10. <laughs> um, now I'm imagining the Beck version of a theme song for WandaVision, but, <laughs> but we, we didn't get to see him in, in, in the behind the scenes special and, he is a person who I have appreciated his work on the scores for Buffy and Frozen. And what's interesting, so so Christoph Beck um, did some of the scores or all of the score for the Frozen, both Frozen films, I believe. And Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez wrote the soundtrack. They wrote Let It Go and all of the other songs we know from Frozen. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so they're very much in that Disney space, and I think that comes through in really delightful ways in the way they did the music for WandaVision, and that was one of the highlights for me as well. And as well as Kristen Anderson Lopez using the words fun, funny, nostalgic, and creepy (laughs) to describe the show, (laughs) which I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And the other highlight for me really was the Tiana Paris interview. Oh, that was so good. Her enthusiasm was just so infectious. Mm Mm-hmm. I loved her story about getting the call um, and finding out who it was that, that she got the job with, without even knowing it was Monica Rambeau. That was such a good story. Yeah, it was just so delightful to see how excited she was. And, and it, it's a reminder uh, about just how influential Marvel is in, in the space it operates in and in, in how actors and agents kind of just uh, agree to sign up for things without even necessarily knowing um, who the characters are are, or how much it will entail. And I just think that she is is really wonderfully cast and it was really cool to see her. Well, I said the same thing for Miss Hart, the Deborah Jo Rupp saying, what was it, her um, nephew said she wouldn't talk to her again (laughs) if she she turned it down. Uh, Yeah, that was cute. And then the excitement of like getting to do the, the scan stuff she's never done before, like I just to echo what you're saying, it just shows like that Marvel's built such a thing that, you know, it, it, people are excited to work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of takes away from that comic book stigma, comic book movie stigma, you know, that no it, actors and people want to be a part of this. I will say the, uh, the juxtaposition of Elizabeth Olsen talking about how excited Deborah Jo Rupp was 
And then them cutting to the scene in the finale where her character, Mrs. Hart, is like in agony because of Wanda's actions. But again, was so <laughs> putting and funny to me. And it should have been. It was a dark humor, but it was I can't believe they didn't find another clip to show that it's like <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, it was it was really cool to see to see more of of those actors to see and and learn more about Matt Shackman and his experiences and influences in directing the show. I do think that there were a couple of things that I, I guess if I had a wish list of everything I'd like to see in a behind the scenes for WandaVision, it would have also included uh, some more of the writer's room um, and their perspectives, as well as maybe some behind the scenes on the commercials. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good they, point. Didn't, yeah. they didn't have a lot. I, I saw, I think it was Twitter, because it was MCU Direct, that they had some interviews with the, the lady from the commercial. And that's where I remember seeing her interview with, but I don't, they didn't have it in the behind the scenes, and that's kind of weird. They had that one shot where it was, I believe, the depression commercial, uh, where she's in bed. And we got to see how they shot that with her standing up. But like you were saying, Tara, I think it would have been nice to have a little bit more of a reflection on the making of them and the pertinence to the story uh, for them. Yeah. yeah, that was that was something that I, I kind of uh, would love to see more. Like I said, if I had a wish list of uh, <laughs> of all the behind the scenes WandaVision things I would like to see. Uh, any any surprises for you guys coming out of of that special? For me, I think the thing that I was surprised by was how comprehensive it was. Given that it was, I believe, like 53 minutes, because I, 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 I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I do believe the Mandalorian, when they had their making of, it was like episodic. And right. so yes. when I saw there was only going to be one episode, I was like, oh, man, you know, I would have loved to have seen more. But just for that one episode, they covered a lot of topics. And that was that was really surprising. In our wrap up episode, we kind of talked about uh, some disappointments we had, like the things we liked about it, things we didn't obviously you know we're going to share those thoughts here but one of the things i really I, I, and again liked or enjoyed surprised all wrapped in one is as they talked about their vision of the show that it's like wow as creators they really accomplished what they set out to accomplish right mm-hmm. um like feedback aside that they were like, we want to tell this story and they really did hold the story they wanted to tell. And just to kind of see that them talk about it and their love for it, you know, and I don't know. Cause part of me was kept, kept thinking, here are the things about like the pandemic and how that had that impact. Mm. Um, but they really were able to overcome this and, you know, and put, put together the story they wanted to tell, you know, and that, I think that was, I don't, I don't want to say surprising, but it's like I just expected them to talk about more of the changes that were made because of that. And it just didn't seem like while there was an impact, it wasn't as big of an impact to the overall story, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And I think that's an interesting way of looking at it because one of the things that was not not a surprise but a reminder to me when, when watching this making of special and seeing some more it's like mask wearing as they were shooting – scenes from the finale it was just kind of a reminder of oh yeah those were the circumstances in which they were doing some of the finale and reshoots and whatever it may be for that episode so it did make me think oh maybe uh, some of the reasons why many of us weren't 
100% satisfied with how they wrapped up the story may have been connected to that somehow. But to your point, they don't actively discuss or mention it. And it seems like it obviously didn't get in the way too much um, or else perhaps maybe they would have mentioned it. Yeah. Before we transition, just any other thoughts related to that making of? You know, I've been vocal about it a little bit on Twitter and in our podcast that some of the finale stuff, as you were alluding to, was disappointing for me. Mm -hmm. The thing that helped me a lot with this making of is that combination of what you all were talking about. Like, you know, you could see the transition in the making of where you started seeing them wear masks and, you know, taking those precautions. Um, A combination of that and then seeing how much love went, went into uh, like you were saying, Jude, pulling off that vision for the story they wanted to tell, you know, as it relates to the language of television, mm-hmm. that helped remind me uh, or, or soften that disappointment a bit because, mm-hmm. like, it, it, I guess it gave me a new appreciation for it. And even though I may still have some of my gripes with the finale, that I'm glad came out because it was like a companion piece towards the end. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I, I, the way that you articulated that really resonates with me. And I am also glad, to your point, that this was released the week after, and it kind of like ties a bow on the experience of WandaVision on a note that does feel very uh, positive and accomplished, whereas that episode nine didn't necessarily totally feel that way for everyone. I think that that feels good. And I, I do want to transition now into reflecting on the WandaVision series in its entirety. And I'm curious if either of you have gone back and rewatched the nine episodes start to finish since the finale aired. I have not. I started Um, and gotten to episode four, but I haven't gotten a chance to finish it again. Read through. Yeah. Now I've seen all nine episodes probably three or four times. Right. But I haven't done that watch straight through. I, I, a couple of things. Hey, I wanted to give it a little bit of space, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I feel like we just got finished talking about it, critiquing it, and I wanted to try to separate myself a little bit from that. Um, and also to, to watch that behind the scenes, I listened to a podcast um, that had an interview with the director, Matt Shackman, read an interview with Jack Schaefer. And so I'm, I'm trying to take all that in mm-hmm. so I can go back and see it that way. Um, and there's some other things that I think I'm that I'm thinking about in terms of what did I bring into watching it that probably impacted my viewing of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I I too like that idea of thinking about how will the show feel with some time and some space and you know all of the 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 supplementary material like you were just explaining, Jude. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> I I did decide to rewatch the whole thing this past weekend, and I I did it not because like I I felt like it was necessary for the sake of doing a retrospective, not because I felt like I didn't feel any obligation to doing it. I did it because I genuinely wanted to mm-hmm. after watching the the making of special. And over the course of a few days over the weekend, I I watched episode one through nine. And I, I too, had seen each episode three or four times in the week they aired. But going back and watching start to finish over a couple day span as opposed to the eight weeks, it, it did illuminate some things for me. And I imagine that 
seeing it with new eyes again in six months, a year, whenever it may be, will do the same. But I, I do want to hear what you both think. So thinking about this show, the format, the storytelling decisions, the themes, the character arcs, any or or all of those, what are your, well, <laughs> what are your WandaVision wrap-up thoughts? And now you've recorded an entire podcast episode about your wrap-up thoughts. So <laughs> we're going to direct people there to hear more about your ideas. But <laughs> I haven't spoken to either of you about it yet. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, uh, summarize for me in a, in, a, in a briefer format, you know, what are, what are you thinking about this show? Okay, so, uh, you know, I did mention some of my gripes earlier, but I'm, I'm sticking with the positives first. And I think something that I was able to really grow an appreciation for after having some time away from, from it now that it's all out is, you know, appreciating the way that this show was able to show the ways people deal with grief and what mm -hmm. that may or may not spur them to do. Uh, the obvious one is with Wanda. Uh, we saw the things that happened with her and the various levels of grief that she's experienced throughout her time in the MCU. But even characters like Monica, uh, we see how... She acts out haphazardly when pushed to dangerous situations because she was coming off, uh, you know, losing her mom, coming back from the blip, you know, all these traumatic experiences. And it helped shape her both in that irrational, erratic behavior, but then also grounding herself hmm. and seeing the power that we, she got from that, both uh, metaphorically and literally. Um, and then even characters like Hayward, even though it was kind of hinted at. You know, we saw the level of grief that he was dealing with in that aftermath of the snap and the ways that that was spurring his actions of control and, and you know, the ends justify the means to help, you know, find uh, protection or safety or whatever he was looking for in that bringing vision on live uh, back, back to life. And so, you know, that's been fun because I know I only got to episode four in my rewatch, but that's been really fun to see the ways this show has explored that idea of what grief can do to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I particularly loved the format of going through television shows. Um, I, I liked the, basically straight was kind of saying the character study of vision and Wanda. I, I kind of think there was some missed opportunity, but at the same time, you only had nine episodes. I mean, I think there was 10 planned. You ended up with nine and some of the other things I'd love to have seen because they felt rushed as a, like a character study piece. Monica's arc, I think was good, but I think there was a little bit rushed. I'd love to have seen the finale still incorporate the sitcom theme in some way. Mm. And that, I don't know how they would have done that. And it just, you had that sitcom theme all the way through. So it would have been neat to kind of do that, you know, the rest of the way through. In terms of grief, I don't know. One of the things I've been struggling with in terms of grief in, in watching the show is thinking about depression and trauma and grief. And is is grief and depression well i know my answer but is grief and depression two separate things and because in because in my head like like i'm looking at it from she's depressed you know mm -hmm. um and so it's a focus in just on grief i think that 
changed how I viewed it. And so in that way, I, I really, I don't want to say I like misunderstood the theme. Like I was there, but I just, it did change. I think maybe the way I thought about some things that I want to be focused on that when I, when I do a rewatch. That's really interesting. So you think that it spoke thematically more to grief, but what you were observing seemed to be more signs of depression. Is that sort of what you're thinking? Um, I think when I watched it, that's what I had in my head. Okay. Interesting. Like she, like that's what, what they were trying to show or that's what she was going through rather than dealing with stages of grief. Like she was depressed, I guess. And, and again, not that they can't, not that they're mutually exclusive. Um, but I do think for me and, and my, me as a viewer, that does change things and how I see it and how I look at it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think that's really interesting. It's a, it's a kind of a new lens to, to look at this through, which I'm really intrigued by. So thanks for sharing that, Jude. And I, I do think that there, you know, in a way, right. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe depression is one manifestation of, of grief. And what I started to kind of wonder about was this show so so what Wanda does in first unintentionally creating the hex out of her her extreme um grief out of her extreme emotions is to create a bubble, right? To create an escapist <laughs> bubble in which she is living and a lot of times I, I think many of us when we go through hard times we 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 kind of retreat into our bubbles and there's kind of the uh, you know, to what extent is that harmful, right? I, you know, if if we need to escape sometimes into a television show or into our personal bubble, uh, what's the harm in that? But I think maybe the show is is commenting in a way on well, sometimes that can unintentionally harm others, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. In that, you know, Wanda very clearly here uh, brings other people into into that with her. So yeah, I don't know how much that's related to what you were saying, but it's just. Uh, maybe a tangential thought that I was having as well. Yeah. No, and you're right. Like, um, cause it can be, you know, I mean, there's like it or not, we are in this together, right? Like mm-hmm. in life, this thing called life in it together and all our actions impact others. And, and I, and I do think it was a good view of like, especially right there at the end, right? There's like, Oh, but they're all peaceful. Like in her head or her view of things, yeah. it wasn't, bad for the people of Westview. Um, and she couldn't see that. So, so I do, I, I think that was a, a good portrayal of that. I just, I just, in my head, maybe it's just where, um, my head was, that was just kind of the lens I was looking at it through. Yeah. Really interesting. Playing off what you were saying about the unintentional ways that, you know, retreating into that comfort zone can be harmful, not only to yourself, but to, to others, you know, it got me thinking about, and speaking delicately, because these are these are topics that are obviously, you know, need to be handled with care. And I, and I think Marvel does walk that line pretty well. Mm-hmm. But that's what makes these stories so impactful, I think, is that they can take that that the extreme, the macro extreme of this is a superhero show and then pair it with that micro, more relatable situation, like you said, of retreating into your comfort space. And mm-hmm. so when you take that 
relatable situation and pair it with the unbelievable power that Wanda has, that's where you get to explore that topic in a way that I feel is unique to the MCU. Uh, you know, we've seen him do it with this and then we've seen him do it with uh, Iron Man 3 and Tony yeah. and his PTSD. And so hearing you talk about the ways that unintentionally, you know, the grief or depression can affect ourselves or others. Um, I think that helps me appreciate uh, more of the way they handled that in the show. Yeah. Well, and now I'm thinking too about what you're saying, what you're saying related to how superhero stories take something that, you know, anybody might experience on a micro level and they, uh, they bring it to this extreme manifestation, right? This fantastical manifestation. And I think that's why many of us, or I'll speak for myself, uh, why I'm attracted to these types of stories is that I love seeing the fantastical exponential <laughs> version of something that is actually really relatable at its core. It's also why I really love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I bring <laughs> up all the time. But the, the first season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer said, hey, let's play with the metaphor that high school is hell. And when we look yeah. at that metaphor and take it to its extreme, what does that mean? What happens when the person who's invisible is actually invisible? You know, right. so um, so I appreciate what what superhero stories do in that way. And, you know, in many ways, superhero stories have always been uh, reflecting the zeitgeist of the times. And what I think is really interesting about the unique moment that WandaVision is occupying right now is it's it's very interesting. So it's you know, we're in this moment of collective trauma surrounding the COVID pandemic and shows like this, while they're not actively tackling that topic, are going to be remembered as being part of that moment. And I think that many people in the past year have found themselves escaping into the bubble, escaping into television shows. Um, perhaps escaping or, or retreating into those comfort zones, as you said, Trey, in ways that aren't always healthy for themselves or others. And on top of that moment that in which I think this is resonating with a lot of people, there's also the resonating across generations that just anecdotally, you know, seeing people like my parents who are watching WandaVision and loving it and it being an entry point into much more of the MCU for somebody like my mom, um, you know, talking with uh, teens who I teach who are as young as 14, who are really, really excited about this show and, and have varying levels of, of uh, prior investment in the MCU. Uh, I was thinking the other day too. <laughs> so a friend of mine, Carolyn, uh, shout out to Carolyn, recently told me about this trend on TikTok that I hadn't heard of before. So I feel maybe a little bit tapped out of uh of teen culture but there's this <laughs> gen z trend on tiktok called shifting have you heard of this no okay it's so interesting and as soon as she told me about it i was like that is so relevant to wandavision it's this idea of like uh thinking hard enough that you shift yourself into an alternate reality and that's called your dr your dream reality and then there's also like this shell of you that continues to occupy uh, to occupy your current reality and i'm probably explaining this wrong um and attempting to intellectualize it in a way in a way that like these uh people would probably be very frustrated with me but 
because it's just like a joke, you know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, right, like this idea of like shifting into your dream reality, right? And the way that this show is playing with wish fulfillment and playing with metaphor, it's just to me very interesting. And I, I think that it's something that is going to feel unique to this moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's a, it's, it's amazing to me how well, like this is obviously planned prior to the pandemic. Right. But it's amazing how fitting this is to what people are experiencing. This idea of aloneness, this idea of what do I do when I'm feeling alone and how is that impacting others? You know, and, and it fits right in, right in there. You know, something you said that really popped into my head, we have, you know, the, the grief and the trauma and, you know, and, and then everybody has heard of, I assume, um, post-traumatic stress, right? Mm-hmm. And there is this thing, you know, I think I'm familiar with it uh, through work, post-traumatic growth. And it's the whole idea of like coming on the other side of that like post trauma and then growth, right? The, this, the, the change, the life events, the, how do you get past and, and start to grow with this new normal? Um, and that like anything takes time. And so I guess I'm calling myself out. So the idea that the, if that does take time that I'm going to expect, you know, a, dynamic vibrant world like the mcu to in nine episodes wrap that up and have her grow past it Hmm. was silly for me to expect (laughs) that you know like because they've well established these these dynamic characters and in that they go beyond just this show right or just this movie right um and you see that impact and 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 so the idea that I even went into it with this idea of like, oh, we're going to have some resolution by the finale and not get that is actually probably more true to life not to have that fully answered resolution after someone goes through the trauma and the grief and, you know, everything Wanda's been through. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, Jude. It's making me think about her line, her last line, right? When she says, I don't understand this power, but I will, right? That the, the work, mm-hmm. the work is ongoing, right? That right. she's, it's, it, she's only just beginning to, th- that, that process of becoming who she is after having gone through these experiences, uh, not, not to, <laughs> not, not to continue to bring this up, but you know, that, that ship of Theseus metaphor, right? About, uh. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The rot, right? And and the memories and the experience and the trauma is the rot. And then, you know, what emerges afterward or, or, or you know, like what is rebuilt from that? And I, I think there's more to that probably that I could parse out. But um, yeah, I, I think that I have such an appreciation for this show and how it has handled these themes. And, you know, was the ending uh, the perfect ending i don't think so and i don't think anybody thinks it was but the types of conversations that we're having i think just illuminate how much was accomplished here and just how powerful this piece of of television really is yeah yeah i mean you you said it best with the way that it was able to reach across 
so many dinner, different generational gaps or yeah. people who had fallen off the MCU and then came back in and are now doing their own rewatches. Um, for any gripes I may have, I think it's undeniable that WandaVision was incredibly successful in, in starting and continuing those conversations. So, okay, you brought up Ship of Theseus. <laughs> so you've watched through WandaVision. This past weekend, you did a rewatch. Which was the true watch? <laughs> <laughs> what is a watch of WandaVision, if not a watch of WandaVision persevering? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> Great oh, answer. Man. Great answer. I need that on a t-shirt now. Anyway. <laughs> Well, thank you for for bringing us to a little bit uh, of a place of some more levity, Jude, because, you know, I think we were dealing with some some very, uh, you know, heavy, heavy themes as this show does. But I do want to take some time to talk about some of our highlights, some of our favorite moments from this series. And I thought it would be fun if we could share our top three favorite moments. And, and there are three of us, so that'll be nine, although I anticipate some some uh overlap perhaps but i i thought <laughs> I, I thought we could try to do a three to one countdown um in having trey start with his like third favorite moment and then jude and then me and then we'll repeat so uh and we can do honorable mentions afterward all right does that sound good <laughs> no that works that works all right and i guess i'll maybe maybe I don't want to over disclaimer, but some of my own reasoning was just like in coming up with my own list, like I, I kind of at first had two categories of highlights. So things that got the biggest reaction out of me in the moment on first watch and then things that have held up as having the most significance overall in light of the entire series and speaking to what the series is at its core. So I ended up actually picking three moments that I felt like did both. But um, I'm curious to see what you guys came up with. So let's start with you, Trey. Number three moment from WandaVision. So number three. I know this sounds really silly, but one of my favorite moments was in episode one when Vision starts singing the yakety yak to distract Mrs. Yes. <laughs> and I think the reason I loved it so much is because it, it stood out where I realized that as weird as the show was starting out, that was the moment that I knew they were going to do well because they made me care about the small stakes. And we know there's this larger context here with the MCU and potentially what's going on in WandaVision. But in that moment, I was completely sold on the smaller story they were telling. And that gave me confidence, you know, going straight into the series. <laughs> yes, that is such a good moment. That encapsulate that encap. Oh, my gosh. Now I can't speak because <laughs> I'm too excited about it. Um, that is such a good moment that encap. Why can't I say this word? Encapsulates. In Captain America's encapsulates that. Thank you. That's what I thought you were about to say. I too have Captain America on the mind at all times. It's totally fine. All right, Jude, what was number three for you? Actually, the same moment. And I do want to say, Trey and I have not talked about favorite moments. So had no idea he was going to say that for his number three. I would say same moment. That's amazing. Now, for me, it was because it had such a sitcom feel, mm -hmm. right? Like, like that is how a sitcom was going to function. And like in real life, I don't, I don't real life. I know it's a terrible way to, to put it, but like just the idea that he would start singing and that would work, right? But like 
that as a nice callback to the song already mentioned and it distracted her and she started dancing. Like it was so sitcom mm-hmm. And I grew up on Nick at night. I grew up watching those old reruns. So I, I loved it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It, it, it didn't make my list, but it's absolutely up there. And upon rewatch, one of the things I said earlier about uh, rewatching episodes one through nine again after the making of special episode one, man, is one of my favorite episodes of this series. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. So good the way that it set the scene. Um, yeah. So for me, the, my, the number three moment I chose is Agatha All Along, the song okay. from yeah. episode eight. Yeah. So, you know, as much as Agnes being Agatha and Agatha being a perhaps nefarious force. It was always on the table, right? For any Mm -hmm. of us who participated in the discourse around the show, even people like me who hadn't read the comics, but being tapped into this conversation, it was on the table from the beginning that, uh, that this could happen, right? That it could, it could Mm -hmm. be her who -hmm. was orchestrating this. Um, but the reveal still got me because of how it was done and and when that music hit i was like what's going on right because we hadn't had musical numbers in the middle or at the end of an episode before right it was Mm -hmm. only at the theme songs so it really got me and it was so silly and so over the top and so Catherine hahn doing what Mm -hmm. she does so well Mm -hmm. and uh, delightful and weird and uh yeah agatha all along yeah you think that topped the spotify charts (laughs) <laughs> yes. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> that might have been all me too. <laughs> just putting it on. <laughs> but no, I wanted to say because you just made me think of something with the Agatha all along and how it was something that happened at the end of an episode rather than the begin the beginning of one. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the last like sitcom flavory thing that we get? If that's the case, like what a great way for the illusion to come crashing down for Wanda is to have that yeah. last moment at the end of an episode. Mm-hmm. Be yeah. surprised to us and her at the same time. Yeah, that's such a good point. Because then yeah. in episode eight, you know, we get the sitcom theme, as Jude was saying mm-hmm. earlier, you know, through Wanda revisiting her memories, but we don't get any more sitcom uh, play, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So, yeah, really, really cool. All right, Trey. So, what's your number two favorite moment? So, number two for me would be the Monica blip sequence. Um, oh, nice. I mean, it's the snap heard around the world or universe, right? Like (laughs) the fact that that one moment in the MCU can still be used to tell these emotionally driven stories like with Monica in the hospital. That's that's astounding, I think. And it's a testament to the groundwork that the MCU has done that, you know, here we are the second project after our three projects, if you want to count in game, um, you know, that we can still get that much narrative juice out of it. And the Mm -hmm. way that it was done so well to create that drama and that horrifying nature of coming back. um, I loved it. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good moment. My second moment was Drunk Vision and the Magic Show. (laughs) Yes. Um, I I don't know, because I think that episode is probably the one I've watched the most because I've just gone back and, and watched it over and over again. Um, you know, well, on, on my pod, I even said like episode, uh, six, the Halloween spectacular and episode two are my two favorites, but yeah, it's what I loved is how clever they were in finding a way to see another side of vision and to give him this personality that you otherwise wouldn't have got. 
And I loved how when he comes out and says, hello, Westview, it reminded me of him when he played Chaucer in A Knight's Tale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just, I will go rewatch those scenes on YouTube just for that. So yeah, so that, that was my second favorite. It really is so good. And the the magic show was in my honorable mentions. Uh, <laughs> and I agree, episode two is is among the most rewatchable for me. I think one, two, and, and six, Jude, I agree, are the ones that like, I can find myself rewatching out of out of comfort, kind of detached to the larger story more. But my number two moment that I have here is Monica Rambeau coming back from the blip in episode four. <laughs> and I, you know, for many of the same reasons you already mentioned, uh, Trey, just the way that it opened the episode and the way that it took us out of the sitcom world that WandaVision had established in the first three episodes in such a unique way. And it mm-hmm. serves, you know, to, to what you were saying before, it serves the micro story of this Geraldine character who we are learning the truth about, and it serves the larger narrative of the MCU. It almost felt like an entirely different show there for a moment, which is interesting because, like, why why would I choose a favorite moment that feels different than the show that I absolutely adore? Um, but be- it's because it's so MCU, the way that it... I, I think it proved to naysayers that WandaVision is essential to the larger MCU. And I think it also speaks to the way WandaVision so expertly, in my opinion, told its story. And yeah, just couldn't agree more with everything you said about that scene in episode four. And again, you're, you're giving me more to think about it. Uh, you know, we <laughs> talked about episode one being such a strong start to this series. Mm-hmm. Episode four is essentially a restart because that's the first time that we're getting to the MCU context of it. And right. again, it's another one of those moments that just comes out swinging and, and is able to re, I don't want to say re-energize because that feels like the first three weren't, weren't great, but it, 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 I guess, restarts the story from a different perspective with such a strong energy. Yeah. And they were so great. Like, it was all so <laughs> great. Like, And I know for some people watching WandaVision, you know, the sitcom stuff didn't necessarily work as much as the, you know, traditional MCU stuff or vice versa. There were there were some fans who were like, ah, it went too far then in the direction of what we expect from the MCU. And it had gone in this different, you know, subverting expectations with the sitcoms. I just listen at the end of the day, I loved all of it. Um, And I think, (laughs) I think it succeeded in both avenues really, really well. So, all right. Number one favorite moment. I know that this is hard, but Trey, what do you have? I'm glad you said how hard this is because when I first wrote my notes, I wanted my answer to be, can I just say all of episode eight? Yeah. But without cheating, uh, I, I narrowed it down to the scene with Wanda and her family and, and, and the bombing moment because, I, you know, I've said this a bunch of our, on our podcast and, and on social media, that episode felt like a magic trick to me. The way that it was able to retroactively go back and show us what they had been telling us all along or even things they hadn't told us before. I, I don't think prior to WandaVision you know, Wanda was ever shown to love sitcoms the way that this story needed her to. Right. And so when they go to episode eight and they take us into that moment where we see her enjoying sitcoms with the family, in contrast to how devastating seeing, you know, the the bombing take place, they they did such great work of grounding that moment to the character in a believable way. And yeah, they 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 won me over in something that I didn't think should work, and it did. And that's why I think it's one of my favorite moments of One Division. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna go the same way. The the that moment with the bomb. Um, 
you know, we talked about this theme of grief that they're going through and to see in that scene, the connection to family, the connection to sitcoms, you know, I hear people talk about it. You hear people talk about it of like, yes, for the longest time, this is what families did, right? They got around the TV as a family, you might have your show and that's what you watch every week. And it's kind of ironic, like the streaming and binge watching kind of culture has taken that away. And this show coming week to week has brought that back mm-hmm. in, in a way. And, and so I, I liked that scene and I loved, I loved how they did the explosion because I, I got sucked in and it's like you knew it was coming, but it still was jarring. So, so yeah, that was probably my favorite scene or sequence. Yeah. So for me and I, I, everything that both of you are saying is, is resonating with me very hard. And I also was going to cheat and say episode eight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and I'm absolutely with you guys at that moment was, you know, one of the most powerful for me. And there were, there were three big moments in episode eight that, you know, made me tear up every time I've watched them, to be honest with you, and speak to the power of the show to me. And and that is one of them. But what I ended up choosing is obviously the same episode, but the memory that Wanda revisits with her and Vision talking at the Avengers compound circa the Civil War era mm-hmm. when they're watching Malcolm in the Middle. And just that sequence, I ended up singling out to talk about here um, because... You know, it, it it includes Vision saying those lines that I think now everybody has been quoting on the internet about how it's not all sorrow and what is grief if not love persevering. And and I think for the <laughs> the the meme ability, I guess that that line has now had. <laughs> um, but in that moment, you know, thinking again about how I felt in that moment the first time watching it, and how I felt how I've felt subsequent subsequent ways as well and how it speaks to the themes of the show. I, I think that moment is, um, you know, s- number one standout to me. And, and not even just those lines, but especially Wanda saying, it's not that kind of show when he's asking about the scene in Malcolm of the Middle and, and why, mm-hmm. why it's funny if the man is getting injured, right? And uh, how do we know he's not injured? And she just says, it's not that kind of show. And they share that laugh after... You know, she has been in so much pain and she's having a hard time communicating that to him and even apologizes to him in the way that she is being, you know, a little uh, maybe harsh with him because she doesn't want to talk about it. And he's trying to offer this offer this comfort and it, it just speaks to his character and how he he was learning what it means to be human and relate on that level. And he talks about never having a loved one to lose. Like that whole sequence, I think, is just so powerful for both of their characters. And that even Wanda is able to have that laugh and say to him, yeah, you know, that was funny. And, and just see that moment of connection for them. That really, to me, powerful, powerful stuff. Well, you know what? And I think it's interesting. I think Trey said it on our pod vision gets all the best lines um and and that one line was i think that is what made the finale not a letdown but like there was like this big moment and like that hit me harder than the moments we got in the finale mm-hmm. and like that's the one that now I realize it's not in my top three, but that line, that moment was, was the one that really stuck. 
Yeah. Thinking about what you said earlier, too, about how the finale was the the one episode that didn't bring in, you know, an element of that sitcom. Like, I, not, not that I'm going to sit here and try to backseat write the show because there is no <laughs> oh, way that yeah, I, <laughs> but, you know, it, what if, you know, so because so she says to him in that scene, which we take to be taking place sometime during Civil War, like, it's not that kind of show. And I mean, if that line had made a uh, was was reprised somehow in the finale of him saying that to her or something like that. Oof, that would have hit really hard to bring back that motif, yeah. you know? Well, okay. I'm an I will backseat rewrite the show for a second. <laughs> what I would love to have seen him do and I and I get what I'm about to say is a repeat. And so the I can already hear the criticisms of like, oh, they've already done this. But I'm I'm imagining that Mysterio sequence from Far From Home. But with Wanda and Agatha going through the sitcoms oh. and, and like that fight's not up in the air. It's in the, the neighborhoods, the houses and it's morphing. And so she's also being confronted while fighting Agatha, you know, the, the, the people that's, uh, and, and I get say she was confronted in a zombie, like confronted by them and, they were awake, but it was almost like this weird apocalyptic zombie yeah. feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would just love to see him go through those sitcoms again. And you're and you're right. We could you could have had that callback. It's not that kind of show in the end there somewhere. Well, and again, that's that's nothing bad. It's just of course, like, yeah. There, it's it's just more of like like expectations wise for me. It would have been cool, like you ran this theme so well all the way through mm-hmm. of, of these sitcoms. And I would love to have seen them incorporate that in the end somehow mm-hmm. rather than just, okay, it's run its course and we drop it. Um, now, having said that, I think Trey had an excellent thought, you know, of book ending it uh, with Agatha. Okay, we are now, this is the, you know, we start the show with a sitcom theme in episode one, end it with a sitcom theme and move on, you know, so you had a nice book in there. Mm-hmm. You got me in love with your idea of them going through. Cause so often we talk about these movies with the, the final boss. We use that video game language, mm-hmm. you know, doing a quote unquote boss rush where you face all the challenges that you were leading up to in that journey at the yeah. end, that feels really like it would have been satisfying, but they kind of almost did it a little bit, except it was from the perspective of Agatha. Because Wanda takes her into that moment of Agatha at the stake and then Agatha flips on it. Right. I think if you would have had that moment where that moment Wanda at the stake facing her issues, that would that's what we were looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, really I should say that's what I was looking for. I should speak for me. Right. Yeah. Well, thinking about uh well, some 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 honorable mentions that I had on my list of moments included one from episode nine, which was the as you referred to it, you kind of like the the zombies uh, converging upon Wanda in the town square. I, I thought that that was really cool. So that was on my honorable mentions list. Uh, the magic show, of course. Uh, family TV night in Sokovia, of course. <laughs> um, the sitcom theme song, specifically for episode six, uh, mm-hmm. although all of them really. And yeah. um, the confrontation between Wanda and Vision at the end of episode five, when she starts that running the so credits good. over him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one that, you know, when I was brainstorming these was I Can't Feel You from episode eight, when she mm-hmm. um, 
you know, is looking at his kind of dismembered body. But uh, yeah, did any, any other shout outs to any particular moments that you guys wanted to mention? I'll say all scenes with Wu. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, I just loved his character. And it's, it's hard to find a particular moment for Wu, maybe when he did the handcuffs and said flourish mm-hmm. uh, and did the call. Um, you know, that uh, him delivering the coffee was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I really, really liked the pairing of Darcy and Vision together in that sequence of Darcy recounting uh, um, mm. what happened to Vision and, and he's finding out for the first time. Mm-hmm. For See, me, uh, he didn't have, okay, he wasn't the true Vision. He didn't have the memories. He didn't <laughs> have the rock. If she had to remind, anyways, go ahead, Trent. Uh, for me, a shout out would be to, <laughs> uh, I really like the opening of, I believe it was episode six where we get the point of view from the kids. Yeah. And not only was mm-hmm. it a, a way mm-hmm. to really solidify that theme of Malcolm in the middle or, or borrow inspiration from Malcolm in the middle, it was an inventive way to quickly cover the personalities of the children without having to spend limited time on it. And I thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great point. And it did. It got, I mean, I'll speak for myself. It got me invested in the kids in a way that I wasn't yet in episode Mm -hmm. five. So I think that was really successful. So Trey and I have talked about doing a bonus episode just on the ship of thesis. So that's why I was (laughs) kind of going on a tangent there. I'd love that. I'd love to listen to that. I have a question and, you know, correct me. I don't want to get too sidetracked. Do you think that the reason why none of us brought up anything with Evan Peters Mm. Is as as a as a favorite moment or a honorable mention has to do with who he ended up being. Yes, for me. So when I uh, sort of sort of like the disclaimer I gave at first with like thinking about categories of highlight moments, I wanted to stick to ones that I think achieved both of the purposes in my mind. Of like, it really made me excited in the moment. And looking back, it has overall significance. So for me, something mm-hmm. like the Pietro, you know, quote unquote, Pietro reveal at the end of episode five definitely right. is on the list of like in the moment got me really excited and had a huge impact, but didn't end up being something that I chose to reflect on here because it didn't hold as much significance in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I think that's where I'm at, too. And to, to play off what you were saying, Tara, you know, when that moment happened in the show, it I called it a, a saga defining moment as something that we would look back on. Wow. Now I'm not sure. Right. And, you know, as far as that category of, you know, whether it pertained to the show or not, it, it almost feels like there's a tale of two WandaVisions. There's the WandaVision that was so thematically resonant and was telling that story about grief. And there was the WandaVision that was setting up stuff in the MCU. Yeah. And so everything they did with Evan Peters for the WandaVision story of how that pertains to somebody and their grief, being able to accept things that may not be true, that was wonderful. But then when we see past that veneer and they keep playing in that space of the mystery of Evan Peters and who he is, that's where it started to feel flat. So, mm-hmm. yeah, now I'm starting to wonder, you know, how much that weighed into me because I, I don't think any of his moments really... Uh, crossed my mind when I was sitting down for these impactful moments. No. And well, and he was and in my favorite episode, he was such a, the, the Halloween one, right. And he mm-hmm. was such a big part of what made that episode so good. 
Yeah, and I agree with that. And it, that is still among my most, as I said, rewatchable of the episodes because I appreciate how fun his character is in that episode, mm-hmm. you know, as well as everybody else. And I just love the Halloween setting. So it doesn't take away from it for me, you know, especially, you know, doing that rewatch one through nine and and trying to feel what it would have felt like to not have weeks of anticipation in between his reveal and then the finale you know, it, when it happens kind of quickly there for you in, in the span of a couple hours, it, it doesn't feel as disappointing. It, it feels more like you can lean into the fun of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, Trey, I think you articulated really, really nicely uh, that maybe uh, conflict that many of us are kind of feeling about the WandaVision that was and the WandaVision that for a while we thought might be, um, if that makes sense. And, and, and the kind of dual goals that the series has uh, in terms of its position in the MCU. And and kind of on that topic, you know, one of the things that we all had fun with throughout <laughs> this wild ride of WandaVision was the fan theories. So I wanted to ask both of you, if you could have seen one of your theories or predictions play out, which would it have been? And um, let's start with you, Jude. I think, well... Part of me is to say, I kept pushing, the X-Men are coming, the X-Men are coming, mm-hmm. with Evan Peters. Um, but if I'm honest now, I don't think that would have been satisfying. It, it, it's saying, like, this is, like, like I think over over time, that's the, the Pietro from the Fox universe would be satisfying. But to just have him show up and reveal that all in one go, I don't know if it'd be as satisfying. But I was really expecting, you know, uh, theory prediction wise, this to open up the multiverse, like mm-hmm. truly open up the multiverse. Um, and so I kind of wish that would be my choice, actually. No, I kind of wish it was my choice. That would be my choice. I kind of wish it would happen. And I understand why it doesn't work. But the hex actually just blew up not went away like it it blew up and broke open the multiverse right like that's i because i i reached a point where i was like oh you only have four episodes left you only have three episodes left and and thinking about everything they had to resolve and i started thinking to myself this is going to be an infinity war type end Hmm. you know this is an empire strikes back kind of end with something else to come and that probably we wouldn't see necessarily a resolution here and so that's that's the thing I I would say I would have to have happen if I got to pick something. So for me, when we made, we kept making this joke all season on our podcast where I had this singular grain of sand that I was holding on to. Yes, I remember. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that being, I was so hoping that this would play out that it wasn't Wanda's doing. Maybe some other instigating factor, somebody else that was manipulating her powers. Um the reason why I wish this would have came true is because it felt like there were so many fun, conflicting ideologies of the magic within the hex that would would have been a fun way to explore. Like, oh, no, you know, if you were paying attention all along, here was this other force mm-hmm. or even scenes where it almost felt like there was this conscious intent to split Wanda and Vision, uh, especially the right. ways that Agatha would, um, you know, she took a, a control of Herb to so distrust of Wanda in vision. There was a part of me that was hoping that wasn't the case, but you know, having seen it all now, knowing the story that they were going for, I understand why it makes sense that it needed to be Wanda. 
But, you know, if I get to put my writer's hat on to see how I would have rewritten it, uh, that's what I was really hoping would be the case. Cool. Yeah, I thought oh. I thought you'd say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, too, it, it if that were the case, it really... I felt like it would have lended to more of why the broadcasts were happening at all. Um, yes. Which is something I don't think we ever really got a solid answer for. I think it's just suspend disbelief. They're playing right. in that TV space. But if you had something else happening there, maybe that would have shed some light on the broadcast. But yeah. I think that both of your responses to this question are things that I also <laughs> would have liked to see. I, I did expect this to more clearly open the multiverse, especially after the Nexus commercial in episode seven and learn, you know, again, as a person who is not uh, Marvel comics literate, like having learned what the Nexus was in the comics, like, oh, wow, like this really seems like this is the direction they're going in. And maybe we will still, you know, obviously, I think we're going to see some connection between Wanda and this multiverse concept because she will be in multiverse of madness. But, you know, I, too, was expecting more of that, uh, as well as as Trey, there was a while that I, I, I think I was with you where I was like, I don't want Wanda to to be responsible for this and, and ultimately kind of landed where you did, which is where I think episode eight and the emotion behind it, you know, um, you know, for me, that was like, okay, all right, I understand how she was behind this and, and um, the significance of that. So ultimately where I'm going to land on the theory that never was is going to be about Dottie. So, <laughs> um, all along, of course, the Buffy alum. <laughs> yes, right. I was paying attention to her because Emma Caulfield, you know, because of Buffy, and I was looking for her when she wasn't there, and and wanting to see more of her. And as we got into episode eight and nine, you know, it seemed more and more clear that the show was less and less likely to do a bigger bad than Agatha reveal, right? Like, a, it, was, it seemed less likely, like, oh, what are they going to throw in a Mephisto character now, you know, at the ninth hour? It seemed less likely, right? So I thought, though, that there could still be some connection. So <laughs> so after we recorded our episode for, for episode eight, our episode of the podcast for episode eight of the show, so my, my guest that episode, CH, we... um. So they rewatched the first eight episodes again after we had our discussion and was texting me all of these little details. And for a moment, we got really excited about the Dottie theory. <laughs> and it seemed like it, was, it wasn't it was so out there. It wasn't that, you know, she was going to be stronger than Agatha, but that maybe they were working together all along or she was part of the same coven or even maybe had a rivalry with her. So these were all ideas that we were kind of throwing out there. And um, and they even went so far as to involve Bev in the theory, and it went very <laughs> off the rails. So we did not share this publicly because we knew that it could be completely, completely out there. And we just ultimately had a really fun time with it. <laughs> but I will say in the finale, since Dottie is the first one that Agatha like wakes up out of her hex state, for a second there, I was like, oh, man, we were going to be right. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is going to be it, like, because she's the first one Agatha zeroes in on. Um, but nope, you know, and that's OK. You know, the Easter egg in the credits, even that her actual name was Sarah Proctor, is a nice nod to the Salem witch trials. And so I'm going to yeah. appreciate that for what it is. Um, but it was it was fun there for a moment to speculate on. Yeah, yeah I, 
I know I knew how much you were pulling for a Dottie return just because we've had some exchanges on Twitter about it. Yes. And so after her disappearance in the middle of the show and you start to see her being peppered in in the, I believe it was episode seven and then mm-hmm. uh, episode nine. I got so excited for her. each time she was on screen. I was like, oh, yes, Tara's, you know, wish is going to come true. And then, of course, <laughs> yeah. nothing. It was <laughs> still delightful to see her. Yeah. I say what a moment, though, she had at the end, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like to say, I just want to hug my daughter again. Uh, she even offered up to like let her kids be bullied. Oh my God, I know. By Wanda's kids, yeah. you know, and like just to have her kid free and, you know, as a parent and as a teacher thinking about bullying, like to reach that point where you're offering that up for your own kid, which we'd never wish on our own kids, never wish on our own students. You know, really, she had a really powerful moment for right there at the end. She did. And all of that, you know, wild speculating aside, it was a nice full circle, too, because she's the character in episode two who is leading the refrain of for the children. And it Mm -hmm. makes it feel that much more painful and eerie that we then get that glimpse into what she has been experiencing this whole time of missing her daughter. So Mm -hmm. really, really powerful stuff. I saw a a post on the Marvel Studios subreddit that really helped recontextualize that for the children moment and linked it to what you were talking about of what she was willing to do to appease Wanda. Hmm. You know, I think a lot of people ran with that for the children as, uh, you know, maybe some sort of double meeting of like, oh, they're doing this play. But reality, this is like for Wanda's children, like to whatever witchcraft is going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But hearing the people speculate that like, oh, no, this wasn't for Wanda's children. This was for their children. Yeah. And they were doing anything yeah. to appease to save their children. And that, that scene is so much more creepier now than, than the first time watching through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It really, really is. And that creepiness makes it all the more delightful to me. I mean, as, as much as that sounds weird, but <laughs> but just, you know, the way that this show has played with all of those tones um, is something that I... It's very much what makes me tick in terms of the type of uh, media that I like. Well, kind of our, our our last bit of discussion here, I wanted to ask you both what you think the role of Wanda is, excuse me, what you think the role of WandaVision is in the MCU and what does WandaVision mean for the future of the MCU? Trey. <laughs> <laughs> so... When I was really thinking about this question, I think the thing I kept coming back to is how there seems to be this growing sentiment of anti-superhero ideology that's Mm -hmm. brewing in the MCU. Uh, We saw it started with Zemo in Civil War. Uh, We saw a little bit of it with uh, Mysterio and Far From Home. And then you get it here with Hayward for sure. Uh, You know, the way he was um, lamenting Monica's buddying up to these superheroes. And so because because WandaVision ends with Wanda a little bit in that gray area, especially with the way, you know, she's kind of like slinking out of Westview with her hood up and Monica's trying to like, uh, you know, assuage her fears of like, you know, they'll never know what you gave up for them. Mm-hmm. And Wanda says, it doesn't matter. It won't change how they see me. I really think the future that we're moving into with the MCU is going to deal a lot with the pushback of that gray area that some of these superheroes are living in. Um, yeah. I hope they handle that well with, with Wanda like there's, cause that's going to be a fine line to walk, but I think that is 
the starting push towards that idea? Okay, I think uh, I think of these two questions in two ways. Uh, one would be like within the universe, and I hope that this means to echo what Trey's saying for the like. I I would love to revisit Westview, mm-hmm. and I would love to see that could be Dottie, could be Herb, you know, Norm. Um, I would love to see how they they could take these characters and kind of play into that, right? Like whether it's one of them leads a national movement or runs for some kind of office, you know, because they have firsthand experience, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, firsthand negative experience. Um, so I think that'd be a really neat way to, to use what the events of WandaVision or the events of Westview and us to see them again. So I think, you know, to kind of echo Trey, and I think it's a good way they can pull that in to the rest of the, the universe. Also, what I think it means for the MCU future is I hope that they feel emboldened to try new creative things yeah. with these shows. Because um, I just, I, I loved the sitcom feel, right? And, and having a long format, uh, which is awesome for storytelling because you can kind of develop your character and characters that can then be handed off to something else. But I hope that they take this to say, Oh, we can get creative and we can, you know, I mean, they've pushed the limits in, with guardians of the galaxy. You know, they took a risk and they've taken these different risks uh, and playing with the f- style and format was a huge risk that worked. And I, and I hope they continue to do that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that sentiment. And I think, just, you know, staying in that realm of outside the universe, what does this show mean? You know, I think reflecting on everything that we've been saying here tonight and what we saw in that making of special, WandaVision really did have these two purposes, right? And in my opinion, two successes, you know, two achievements in being mm-hmm. both an in-depth character study a micro level look into the psyche of this one character uh, and at the same time a significant entry in the MCU moving forward and, and you know I'm reflecting too thinking not even just the MCU moving forward but also in the way that it has invited people to revisit and perhaps deepen their appreciation for earlier installments in in the larger story and the way that it's invited and honored multiple entry points into the MCU. I think that it it walked that tightrope really, really well. Uh, and I did want to kind of um, just cite a podcast. Uh, it's called The Big Picture, and it's, it's a movie podcast mm-hmm. primarily. And uh, they had a guest on Mallory Rubin, who is editor-in-chief of The Ringer, and co-host of Binge Mode podcast. So I just wanted to shout out who she is. Um, and she used a phrase describing the MCU that I am now kind of obsessed with. She called it a living document. And I really love that. Uh, you know, it, it brings to mind, you know, something like the Constitution, right? This idea of something that is, yes, it uh, has been set in stone <laughs> in a previous time, but it is a living document. And I just think that that's so interesting, the way that something like WandaVision has invited, like, 
I don't know. So, sometimes the word retcon is thrown around and I know it, it doesn't always have a negative connotation. And I also know that sometimes retconning is negative. So I don't want to sound like an apologist here. But at well, the Trey's same time, so okay. <laughs> are you Trey? <laughs> no, I poking fun. It's one of my pet peeves, but I think because you're right, it doesn't always have to be pejorative. But I think more often than not, it does. Yes. So that's why it's become a pet peeve for me. Right. And it, it, it does. And I think that for me, kind of recontextualizing the MCU as a, as a living document and something that maybe it's less uh, about things being retconned and more about things being recontextualized, I think is really interesting. So thinking about the movie Age of Ultron and how people, you know, seem to be revisiting it, maybe that means appreciating it in a new way. Does that change the role that it had and the way that people responded to it in the moment? No, of course it doesn't. But it does change the way that people now who might be seeing it for the first time or or seeing it within a new context with new eyes are seeing it. And I think that that can all coexist. And I think that if you watch Age of Ultron for the first time, knowing that Wanda uh, has been through what she's been through and having already seen her family being killed, how does that change your your um, your viewing of Age of Ultron, right? If you've already mm -hmm. seen what came yeah. later and, or really what came before, but um, it, I don't know. It's just, so it's just interesting to me. And I've been really reflecting on that, that phrasing that, that she used on that podcast. And yeah, well, and to defend Trey after I threw him under the bus, it would be <laughs> like, and we don't see eye to eye on this one, but one specific example, the little kid in Iron Man 2 is Peter Parker. Yeah. I love it. And Trey doesn't. Um, but at the same time, I like Spider-Man. Not that Trey doesn't like Spider-Man. You know, so it's like, oh, that's little Peter Parker. But I see Trey's point of that doesn't really add anything. It's just the change for change's sake. Whereas in episode eight of WandaVision, yeah, there might be some retconning, but but it's not for it's just the sake of doing it. You're adding depth to the story and depth to these characters and that, like you said, this recontextualization, you know, or even go back to Iron Man 2. After watching Winter Soldier and seeing now that the the senator was Hydra, mm. and now he's the one doing the hearings trying to get the Tony Stark armor, we know, with that lens. And so when you're adding, like you said, that recontextualizing, whereas the Peter Parker thing, it's fun, but it doesn't really add anything. They didn't bring it up in any of the other movies. You know, it's, it's really yeah. done nothing for the Peter Parker story. It's just fun. And so in that way, so, you know, to kind of defend Trey, it's, it's, it needs to have its purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, this living document and purpose. Yeah, um, I totally, totally agree with what you're saying there, Jude. And I agree. There's something that feels different about, oh, yeah, that kid was Peter Parker than the other two examples that you gave there, which, you know, with that later knowledge uh, means that your reading of the text, right? Your interpretation is different somehow or enriched somehow. I think I think that's different than just like kind of a fun little throwaway thing. So I'm with mm -hmm. you there. Because if you're not careful, you run into the George Lucas version of living <laughs> document and you don't even recognize the movie at mm -hmm. some point. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm really in love with the idea of the living document. Um, yeah, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. Right? I thought that was so good. It, that was too good to not to not reference here. I 
thought that was really, really powerful. And she also said some interesting things too about how, you know, if the MCU does go in the in the direction of the multiverse, I think the other host of the show, I'm trying to remember his name now, I think his name is Sean, uh, you know, was asking like, hey, you know, if we open up the multiverse, is that going to be taking away entry points for people, right? Is is that creating barriers to entry then in the MCU if all of a sudden we have all these different realities? And I think that's a really valid question. And I think um, the way that she answered it, again, this is Mallory Rubin, um, she said something to to the effect of comics, that's what comics do, right? Comics right. always do resets. And, and people kind of choose what their favorite arc is and, and yeah. love their favorite arc. And uh, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't engage with the others, but maybe they don't engage with the others. So uh, maybe the MC, that maybe the multiverse would kind of do that for the MCU. Um, so I thought that was an interesting thought too. Well, and that's, we're used to that from television. I mean, how many times does a show start? You don't get into it right away. It might be season two, season three, you finally start watching and you're like, oh, I got to see the rest of this. And you go back and find it. Yeah, yeah, true. You know, mm-hmm. um, or you pick up something, it didn't really speak to you, and then a friend of yours is like, no, 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 you need to give it a few more episodes because here's where it really gets going. And you're like, oh, yeah. And so you dive into it. And and so in that way, well, like you said with your parents, right? And your yeah. mom who, with WandaVision, now I'm going back. Um, so in, in that way, I'd agree that I don't think it creates a barrier. I think it's, if anything, it opens up. Again, why I really hope they continue to try new creative things because it actually, I think, opens up more entry points Yeah. to look, look at what we have here and starts this interest that people will go back through. I think you saying, you know, creating these jumping on points or these entry points is, is really happened where I'm feeling. And I think Marvel Studios is even conscious of it because, again, going back to the example of your parents, Tara, uh, I believe, I don't remember if it was on the podcast before we started, you mentioned that um, your mom's been watching Marvel Legends. Like yeah. They're creating mm-hmm. these on-ramps for people uh, to join in. And it's really interesting to think about, because I've only ever thought about opening up the multiverse in terms of the in-narrative reasoning, but I never thought about what it means for people potentially joining on in the future. Mm-hmm. Especially given how many conversations I'm, I know I've had, Jude's had, and probably you, where people are like, which Spider-Man is the Spider-Man? Oh, Spider-Man? yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, not just that. I mean, my I teach juniors and seniors, right? And so I have, depending on when their birthday is, 16, 17, and 18-year-olds. And the first Iron Man came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, like, my students are getting to an age of, like, oh, when these movies came out, you probably haven't seen them, uh, the early ones, or at least you weren't old enough to see them when they came out. And what's interesting, I think if someone asked me, or regardless of age, if someone asked me like, oh, hey, how I, I want to get into the MCU, how should I do it? I, I think I'd tell them, hey, release order, <laughs> because <Yeah>. because <laughs> yeah. release order is what I know and, and what I am attached to. And with, with maybe a couple exceptions here or there, you know, I think I'd, re- I'd recommend release order, but knowing that so many people that has not been their experience. It's really, really interesting to me to see what their experiences have been. And, you know, I've been talking to some students. I was talking to a student the other day, 14 freshman in in high school, uh, who was so excited because she was telling me about watching WandaVision, specifically the finale with her sister. And 
how her sister hadn't seen Captain Marvel, but she had. So she Mm -hmm. got the reference in the mid-credits scene. And she was Uh. just so delighted to have gotten (laughs) the reference, you know? It was very sweet. And I I think that that kind of excitement is is what we love about the MCU. And uh, it was just so nice to see. Yeah, It's interesting. I, I mean, you say that, like, Captain Marvel, running through my head, Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel... And I might even say the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie are like three good entry points if you've never seen anything that might hook mm-hmm. you and want to see the rest. Yeah, I can see that. I'm pausing because I'm thinking in my head now. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've made a bit of a, of a business of like recommending films to people as entry points. Uh, well, maybe entry points as on ramps, as you were kind of saying, uh, yeah. Trey, for the podcast, like, hey, I want to talk to you on the podcast. Like this is the movie I want you to watch um, and kind of curating those on ramps for mm-hmm. those people. And, and in some cases mm-hmm. it has ended up being uh, something that has created the desire in them to, to see more and in other people's case, not as much um, for whatever reasons. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, those have always been some of my favorite episodes that you've done, knowing that you've curated what they should start with. Oh, thank yeah. you. And in contrast, like, that's the worst question anybody could ever ask me. It's like, hey, which ones do I really need to watch and skip? And I'm like, don't ask me this because, like, I'll find a reason why you have to watch all of them. (laughs) I know we've been talking here today about WandaVision, but in a few days, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier will be premiering on Disney+. Plus. So just quickly before we wrap up today, what are you guys expecting or hoping moving into that show and beyond? So for me, uh, I think what I'm really hoping for is that Falcon and the Winter Soldier feels primed to tell a really emotional story about what it means for someone to step into that idealized version of America. Mm. Um, you know, because that's that's what makes Captain America so great, right? It's that contrast of who America's supposed to be versus how we fall short sometimes. Right. And so, you know, telling that story with Sam you know, as a person of a color in a country that traditionally has not been great to people of color, I think they have the potential to tell something really special. Uh, I don't know how far they'll go with it, but that potential is definitely there, and I'm excited to see what they do. Yeah, definitely. You had a more meaningful answer than mine. <laughs> so uh, so my first thing is I'm just I'm going to cling to my grain of sand and say the X-Men are coming. <laughs> um, no, in, in all seriousness, I'm, I'm really curious because, you know, we know there's six episodes and I really, as much as I want to see Sam's story, I, I hope we see Bucky's as well. Mm-hmm. But like, I hope we get, you know, some history of Bucky within, within the episode and see the things that, that he's had to wrestle with. Cause they were both blipped, right? They were both, mm-hmm. um, snapped. Uh, so I, I'd love to see, you know, that development and see how has he handled it. I mean, because if you got to imagine Bucky's life for a second, like with Cap, almost died, an assassin goes back to Frozen again. Sure, he gets his mind right. At least we think. Mm. You know, we'll see. Um, and. Then he gets snapped and comes back. I mean, what a life yeah. that he's had. So, so I'm really, I'm hoping, you know, we get to see his back, some of his backstory as well. 
Yeah, and I couldn't agree more with both of you. I think those uh, two characters and and those aspects that you two are speaking to are things I'm really looking forward to, uh, hoping to see develop. And I'm also looking forward to talking about that show with you both, um, both on podcast and off. And WandaVision was a crazy wild ride. And I'm really looking forward to where Falcon and the Winter Soldier Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to where Falcon and the Winter Soldier will bring us as well. So Trey and Jude, thank you so much again for joining me to reflect on WandaVision. I, I genuinely feel so blessed to have been able to get to know both of you as we've navigated the the mcu podcaster space and i as as i said earlier you know just as as really cool people and fellow podcasters it's been such an honor to to have you as friends of the podcast and uh and mcu friends and it, it's been really great so before we do wrap up please remind our listeners once again where we can find mcu need to know on the internet yeah. Uh, and again, a feeling is mutual. Thank you again for having us on. This has been absolutely awesome. MCU Need to Know, it drops every Monday uh, wherever you get podcasts. And we're available on social media at MCU Need to Know on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. Thank you for having us. It, you know, I know Trey's been on here before. You've been on our show twice. And one of them, you filled in for me when I was out. <laughs> right, I right. loved your I'm Not Jude. That was so fantastic. <laughs> Uh, and I want to say thank you so much for doing that and filling in for me because I know it was such short notice uh, and you really helped us out. And you're right, like doing this podcasting and, and being a part of this, you get to meet so many cool people. Yeah. And it's just been fantastic getting to know you over the, this past year. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'd say that I'd be happy to fill in for you anytime, except I don't want you to be not there. So. <laughs> so so we'll leave it as uh I I'm looking forward to to working with you both in in various ways in the future. Yeah, we're uh, yeah. we're looking to hopefully have you on for some Falcon and the Winter Soldier discussion. That's right. So maybe yes. soon. Yeah. Yes. Really excited about that. All right, thanks again you guys. Thank cool. you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this retrospective conversation about WandaVision, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at bpenderillustrations on Instagram. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in each Thursday coming up to hear my take on the big ideas of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs>